Hi, everybody, and welcome to this first episode of That Depends, the podcast where we analyze legal issues contextually. A few days ago, we had the chance to talk to Nitika Khaitan. Nitika is a practicing criminal lawyer in New Delhi. She's written extensively on issues of judicial delays, bail, and special criminal statutes. We'll be sure to link her articles in the show notes below. And uh, as you guys know that lawyers love to talk, so our initial plan was to actually have an episode which was only 20 minutes, but it ended up being 40 minutes. So what we've done is we've split the episode in two parts. The first part is effectively the situations which lead up to your arrest and lead up to where situation where you want to be. And the second part is a more generic and broad discussion on bills. So if you have a certain idea of how bills work, we suggest that you can skip the first part, but we hope you will not and then jump straight straight to the second part. So we hope that you guys like the podcast and please let us know your feedback. So thanks so much for being here, Nitika. And I think today a great place to start off would be why bail has become so central to our understanding of the criminal justice system. We seem to no longer talk about criminal trials which are the definitive way of proving guilt or innocence, but rather we only focus on whether or not individual has been granted bail. So Nitika, could you just start out by locating what bail was intended to do in our criminal justice system? And then maybe we can talk about why it's become so central to the criminal justice process as a whole. For sure. So the super simple one-line answer to why we have bail is basically to make sure that the accused person shows up for her trial and in the process doesn't tamper with the evidence, doesn't try and intimidate witnesses. And I think partly the reason for why today what will get or sort of dominate the news cycle is whether people have gotten bail or not, more than whether people have ultimately been acquitted or convicted or not, is the length of trial. By the time you actually finish a trial and get to either acquittal or conviction, a number of years have likely passed from when the alleged incident actually happened, whereas arrest is something that happens far closer to the date. Um, And this again, I mean, we'll get into sort of as we delve into this issue more throughout the course of this podcast. But Another reason is that unfortunately, despite a catena of judgments that state that bail is not meant to be punitive or preventive and is mainly to ensure that the accused does show up for trial and that trial happens fairly, um, at least in sort of news coverage and also perhaps in court proceedings, we see a sneaking sense of bail being seen as a punitive or deterrent measure. So that itself being seen as punishment versus the eventual judgment. Right. So what you're saying is that trials inherently sort of take a long period of time, more so in India than most countries probably. So bail becomes sort of an essential tool to make sure that people are not languishing in jail for the entire length of their time. Right. And despite our sort of Supreme Court trying to um, curb the practice, bail ultimately does become Um, to a certain extent, punitive. If we're going to elaborate on that a little bit, if bail isn't meant to be punitive, then arguably the only considerations for bail should really be whether or not the person is going to show up for trial or not, right? And we'll sort of get into this later in terms of when we talk about um, the factors 
that judges use to determine whether or not bail should be granted. But ultimately, if you said that bail is solely a function of whether or not they appear or not, then really, should we be looking at anything else? Or should we really just be looking at whether or not the person is going to appear or not? Yeah, so to be fair, this is an incredibly vexed question. And despite whatever critiques we might have of how bail today works, it's not very easy to come down solely on one side or the other. Ultimately, the way we even begin by talking about bail, right? So categorizing which offenses are bailable offenses, that is offenses where you get bail as a matter of right versus non-bailable offenses where you have to convince a court that you are worthy of being released on bail. There is the distinction between bailable and non-bailable offenses, even in the law, does unfortunately come down to the nature of the offense and the gravity of the offense. And the moment that is your starting point for distinguishing where you get bail as a matter of right and where you get bail as a matter of discretion, that, of course, is going to creep into the process of deciding whether you get bail or not. Even if we were to step back, it's easy to see why the nature of offense should perhaps matter, right? So even if you're looking at it from a point of view of, is this accused person going to show up for trial and influence witnesses, evidence, whatever, if the imprisonment that that accused person could potentially get is higher, because the offense they're accused of committing is greater, then they perhaps have a greater incentive to abscond, evade the process of law, interfere with the trial. Um, Even therefore, from that narrow perspective of let's make sure that the trial is able to happen smoothly, it's impossible to ignore gravity. The flip side of that, um, which arguably we're sort of seeing day in, day out in the kinds of cases that dominate the news cycle, is that all the investigating agency has to do at an initial stage is add trumped up charges to the FIR in ways that sway judicial proceedings against granting you bail. I think that's that's what important point to discuss in general, because we assume that a crime, when it happens, you're only charged for that. But that's usually not the case, right? Because when we talk about police, they are also, they want a conviction. So they want to ensure that you don't get bail. So how the whole mindset from the starting works, which I, which I think we'll discuss now, is like arrest and then the process follows. They want the charges to be framed in such a way so that you don't get bail. So they'll try to make a simple offense into a much more complicated offense, usually. And then they'll try to ensure that it's different picture is portrayed completely. And then that picture is true or not will be subsequently checked at the trial or not. So I think the first issue then comes up is what are the cops doing as soon as you commit a crime, right? Right. Um, okay, so super basic primer. Um, a first information report or FIR gets registered at a thana if the police is convinced that whatever complaint you've gone with is something that involves the commission of a cognizable offense. Um, now, and, and what's there to what's stop, the what's there to stop um, the abuse of that process? So say I just, I'm not very on, on very good terms with my neighbor, right? Um, what's to stop me in going and filing an absolutely frivolous complaint? Or say I want to take over some of his land, right? Yeah. What stops me from um, filing a complaint and then getting him arrested? 
also i think for a hopeful future listeners we should also tell them what a cognizable offense is yeah 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 um okay so cognizable is this awful super awkward word and even a bunch of colonial reports authored by the peers of those who introduced this word into our lexicon also recognize that it's an awful word that doesn't indicate at all what it means the reason that this distinction is also really important for bail is because when you have a cognizable offense the police can arrest you without a warrant if it is a non cognizable offense the powers of the police to arrest you are heavily circumscribed because they need a warrant from a magistrate before they can do so now similar to bailable and non bailable where there is no super clear enunciation of exactly why certain offenses are bailable certain aren't and roughly we sort of end up falling back on a gravity based distinction graver offenses non bailable less grave but that gravity i'm sorry but that gravity is also then number of years of incent like which you can get imprisoned for gravity is not what we morally consider a more graver offense maybe at some point absolutely absolutely right? so absolutely so the proxy for determining gravity of the nature of offense ends up being imprisonment terms for cognizable you will have a number of law commission reports that say you know cognizable and non cognizable doesn't depend on gravity it actually depends on need to arrest right so for instance um, the offenses in the indian penal code that have to deal with rioting simpliciter so unlawful assembly five or more people with weapons those are cognizable but bailable so they're cognizable presumably the rationale is that you want to give the police the power to be able to immediately intervene and arrest someone in case they chance upon someone who's rioting but you want to make that a bailable offense because you don't consider that grave enough to be non bailable but again even though for offenses in the indian penal code you will have a detailed schedule in the criminal procedure code for each offense saying whether it's cognizable or not bailable or not for all other offenses the same schedule in the crpc classifies offenses as cognizable or not cognizable depending on the exact same consideration of the number of years of imprisonment that that offense attracts so basically you get back to number of years that you could go to jail for both as a distinction between bailable non bailable and cognizable non cognizable um and now just to quickly go back to the other question about yeah. you know what if i just don't like my neighbor and want to get an fir registered against her there again the possibility of abuse cuts both ways so we have again it is beyond settled law that the moment you go to a thana and give information of a cognizable offense they have to register an fir you will again find lots of cases where for myriad reasons that doesn't happen and you have to run pillar to post and take up a bunch of other remedies to get that done on the flip side of course it is also possible that basically depending on the police and your relationship with the police you are able to get an fir registered for something that perhaps ideally should be a civil dispute and not a criminal dispute even there though because the settled law is that as soon as you disclose a cognizable offense the police has to register an fir there more often than not if one were to follow the law strictly an fir would be registered on the basis of your complaint 
during the course of investigation, if it is found that your complaint isn't actually worthy of your neighbor being charged or prosecuted further, the police will file a closure report. And there are also provisions to prosecute people for having filed frivolous complaints. No, but if initially your frivolous complaint, I'm sorry, but initially if a frivolous complaint is filed due to your influence with the police, then the concept of a closure report being filed is very less, right? Because they know why they started this whole process. So the basically they have more incentive to not file a closure report. So I think that's also a big issue then. Sure. And that can be the case in a couple of cases, but I would still be sort of more worried about that initial registration of the FIR because a bunch of other remedies kick in by the time you're filing a closure report or not. Um, ultimately, that report is still something you'll have to file in court. A magistrate is going to apply her mind to it. Um, and so if there really is sort of nothing to base the FIR or allegations on, it's not easy to file a sort of charge sheet based on absolutely nothing. Um, and then, of course, in the process, you know, once cognizance is taken, the other person can sort of straight away apply for discharge. Conversely, if your FIR did disclose serious allegations and the police ended up filing a closure report, you as the complainant or the victim have the remedy of being able to file a protest petition before the magistrate and saying, you know, the investigating agency didn't consider XYZ thing. Um, and the magistrate can take a decision independent of the conclusion of the investigating agency. So it's the initial bit of registration where there is less court oversight, where I'd be more worried about um, the possibility of the law not being followed. Right. So it seems as though to incentivize people or to absolutely make sure that the, the FIR is filed, right? A, a sort of direct consequence of that is that we have to live with the risk of certain FIRs that may not be worthy of actual complaints or may not actually disclose, disclose offenses, also sort of entering or creeping into the system. Is that correct? Right. And to add to that, um, as will perhaps be what dominates sort of coverage um, in cases that are slightly more politicized or cases where there are concerns that dissent is being suppressed um, using the criminal justice system. There are also cases where an offense might have occurred, but the people being prosecuted for the offense, um, basically there are two competing versions and which of those versions becomes an FIR um, is contested. Right. So sort of just getting back to our larger question of why bail has become so central to the entire criminal justice system, right? Um, we've, we've already established that one, the trials take an incredibly long amount of time. Two, there are going to be a certain number of cases that could potentially not disclose an offense, right? And secondly, could disclose an offense where you want the police to arrest individuals for, but you want them to get bail for, but maybe the CRPC, the IPC doesn't necessarily classify them as bailable, right? So now we sort of have these three factors that all lead to, or sort of seem to um, push against the general trend of bail, right? Um, but to sort of come back to the idea that um, actual innocence and guilt is determined by trial, right? Can we also just sort of touch upon what the state really gets out of um, keeping people in custody, 
right? Because um, if we if we really want these FIRs to be registered, if um, we if the the laws seem to be designed in a way to ensure that more often than not. Um, the, the uh, bail is discretionary as opposed to granted as a matter of right, then it seems to me as though the law, the architecture of the law is in favor of keeping people behind bars. So I'm just wondering what the advantage of that is in a criminal justice system. Yeah, yeah, and how so, do you end up at jail? I think that's also, we'll just, if you want to also disclose this fact that how do we actually get up, reach the point where you are finally in jail? Because once I've, so for example, Vasus doesn't like me that much and he files a complaint against me. And then somehow I've been arrested for whatever offense that Vasu thinks I have committed. And then what will be the next step at this stage? Yeah. So the most important thing here that should give us pause before we talk about the architecture of the system as something that leads us towards people being in jail is that, again, as is beyond settled law, the power to arrest and the justification for it are supposed to be very different. Right. So just because an FIR has been registered against someone for attracting non-bailable offenses should not at all mean that the person has to be arrested for that investigation to be completed smoothly. The issue, as we've already hinted at, of course, comes in precisely because we might not always have the best and most effective remedies against unlawful arrest at two levels. One we do not have the strongest mechanisms for accountability of police officials, right? So either filing complaints against the police, internal disciplinary mechanisms they might have. And second, of course, is how judges deal with the question of bail, which we'll again just get to in a second. As for the stages, once an FIR has been registered, the police, if it thinks necessary, and here again, that distinction of how many um, years of imprisonment does the offense in the FIR attract? Because there are different considerations and different levels of satisfaction that the police has to arrive at before they decide to arrest you. If you're accused of an offense punishable up to seven years versus if you're an accused of an offense punishable for more than seven years. Um, if you're accused of an offense punishable for more than seven years, the police has to arrive at a lower level of satisfaction to decide to arrest you. So without going sort of too much into that, once the police has decided to arrest you, as is your constitutional right, you can only be kept in the thana for 24 hours before you have to be produced before the nearest magistrate. If the police says that, you know, I can't complete my investigation in 24 hours, I need to keep this person in for longer, they have to apply to the magistrate to remand you to custody. This custody, within the first 15 days of that first production before the magistrate, the police can apply for you to be, for you to remain in police custody. Police custody generally brings with it, um, a greater apprehension of violations that you might suffer at the hands of the police. Beyond a period of 15 days, the magistrate cannot authorize you to police custody and you have to be sent to judicial custody. So basically in Delhi, that would be Tihad or Mandoli or the judicial lockup. In the judicial lockup, um, now this is a provision that I think 
often times in general discourse people confuse as meaning a time limit on investigation there isn't really a time limit on investigation ever the only time limit is that once you've been remanded to judicial custody again different timelines for the kind of offense you've been accused of but if a charge sheet is not filed against you within 60 days or within 90 days if it's a graver offense you get a default right to bail now what that default right means is that if it is the 60th day or the 90th day whether you meet all those judicial considerations for bail whether on the merits of the case you should get bail or not if a charge sheet has not been filed all you have to do is make an oral application to the magistrate and you are entitled to be released on bail as a matter of right even this incredibly basic provision um and this you will see sort of intensified in cases outside delhi um unfortunately does depend on the access of the accused person to legal aid that is at least able to make this application before the magistrate at the right time um as for when you can apply for bail you can apply for bail at any point once you've been taken into custody whether that's police custody or judicial custody